Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, for it revives the soul. Lord, may you enlighten our eyes and cause us to fear your holy name. For your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May your spirit breathe upon us as he has breathed upon your holy and errant word. And may he reveal its truths to equip us for good works, to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness. Lord, use your word to make us wise unto salvation. Lord, help us to fall in love with your word. Because that's where we find Jesus. Lord, protect me in my preaching. May these not be my own words, which would be so fruitless. But may your spirit work in power and reveal to us, your people, your holy intention. Nourish us. Lavish upon us the grace that you have given to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, and we lift up prayers for the people here in our midst because you listen to us. We lift up Jonathan Pence. Heal him. We lift up John Michael. Heal him. Lord, we pray for Linda Horde. Heal her. Lord, we lift up Dick Abernathy this morning. And Lord, we ask you to call him home in peace. May he not suffer. Be with the Abernathy family. Lord, we pray for John Reagan and his mother. We lift up Doug Hay to you that you might heal him. We lift up the Whittenton family. We lift up the German family. Lord, we know that you hear us. Hear our cry for mercy. Lord, as we look into this community in which you have placed us, we pray that we might be a light here in Fayette County. Proclaiming the truths of the gospel, not only with our words and not only through your holy word, but through our actions. May they see us and know that we are your disciples. Lord, we pray for those in leadership above us. 
whether in our workplaces, whether through our government, even in this church, Lord, we pray for those who have authority over us. May they lead us to righteousness, for they are your representative, because you are in control of all things. Lord, we pray for your peace in Ukraine. We pray that you cause and cease all war. And Lord, we pray that you come quickly. And we pray this with confidence in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. When was the last time Jesus got too close? When was the last time that Jesus so invaded your space that he made you feel a little uncomfortable? And not only made you feel uncomfortable, but he got so close to you that you started to question what you actually believe about him. This is that awkward moment in public, right? You sit down in the seat, intentionally leaving a seat next to you, and someone comes and sits in that seat. And in your heart of hearts, you're staring at them as, why did you sit down next to me? That's the open seat. Maybe that's happened this morning to you. This is what happens in the men's bathroom, where there's an unspoken etiquette, and if there's a stall open, you leave it open and go to the next one. We call it social distancing now, but it's been around forever. Stay out of my space. And children don't understand this, right? This is something that we teach them. We have a bubble around us. Stay out of my space. So I want to ask you again, when was the last time that Jesus got so close to you, he made you feel uncomfortable? When did he sit in that seat, kind of wiggle towards you, which caused you to wiggle away? When did he stand so close to you that you could feel him behind you in line? Or maybe he got so close to you he was tailgating and you were just staring in your rearview mirror. What are you doing? I ask that question because what we'll see in John chapter 11 is Jesus has gotten close, a little too close, and he's made everyone feel uncomfortable. Jesus has moved from the beginning of John chapter 1. He has moved in the public arena, working miracles, doing signs, teaching And it's made some people uncomfortable, a little too uncomfortable. Some people have believed in him. But some people, he just got too close. He asked too much, and they rejected him. He was changing their expectations. And what I want to ask us this morning 
is that same question. Has Jesus gotten too close? Because this is how this happens in my life, right? Jesus, come on in. I believe in you. You're the eternal son of God. You're taking away the sins of the world. I believe that you are fully God and fully man, two distinct natures, one person forever. I believe that you are the redeemer, the perfect prophet, priest, and king that fulfills all of the scriptures. But this one area of my life, don't get close to it. I, I love this too much. Or we might even say, Jesus, don't get too close to me, for I am not worthy. Does that sound like your life? Sometimes Jesus gets too close. You don't want to give up all of your space, maybe just some of your space. Because we can sing hymns, we can sing songs about Jesus, we can pray in the name of Jesus, we can pray the prayer of Jesus. And yes, we can admit that we are nothing without Jesus, but at the exact same time in our hearts, we can say, Jesus, stay in your lane. I want to ask you, when was the last time that Jesus got so close, so close to our sin that we actually recoiled? He gets so close to that one thing that we hold so dearly, we were actually afraid to give it up to Jesus. To give you another illustration of the Christian life, imagine Jesus comes and knocks on your front door. You, before opening the door, if you're like my family, you try to tidy some things up, you kick some things underneath the couch, and then you open and you find Jesus. Maybe you start the small talk there before inviting him in. You start, you start, you stay, you stay there. Or maybe you get enough courage to ask him in. But what are the expectations? What are our expectations of Jesus then? He's in our home. What do we do? We expect him to stay in that room, right? This is my living room. We might invite him, come, come to the kitchen, come get something to eat, come, come get something to drink. But we have this unspoken expectation when Jesus comes into our home or when any of you come into our home, don't go back into the bedroom. Don't go into the the master bathroom that we haven't cleaned in a long time. But there's this unspoken rule. And what Jesus really wants from us and what Jesus really asks of us in the gospel is not only let me into our living rooms, let me into your kitchen, but he wants to go to the bedroom. He wants to go to the bedroom, and he wants to pull back the sheets. And he wants to get in underneath that top sheet, right? Not just under the comforter, but for some people my age, we don't believe in top sheets. But if you have a top sheet, he wants to pull back that top sheet and get underneath inside your most personal spot you you have in your house. He's sitting in your recliner. He's laying down in that spot that has formed to your body. 
When was the last time Jesus got this close to you? Where Jesus didn't stay put. Because in reality, here we have the Sanhedrin and they didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't invite Jesus into their living room. They didn't invite Jesus into their bedroom. They were repulsed by him. Every time he moved towards them, they took two steps away. Every time Jesus got close, we've read over and over and over in this gospel, they now want to kill him because he's getting too close. And I believe, unfortunately, this is true for our lives sometimes. Jesus, stay back. And what I want us to look at this morning is I want us to look at the two main groups in this text. In verse 54, we see the disciples. And in verses 55 and 56, we see the Jews that are in Jerusalem. And so the first question I want us to ask is, when was the last time Jesus got too close? And the second question I want us to ask this morning is, who are we in this story? Right? This is a narrative. When we read passages like this, the scriptures are begging us to ask, who do we identify in this text? One group, the disciples, they're with Jesus. Jesus fled. He's in, he's in hiding. He's in the wilderness. And the disciples are with him. And we have this other group, these Jews who have gone to Jerusalem. They've cleansed themselves for the Passover meal. And they're asking themselves these questions of, what do you think? Do you think he will come? Neither one of these groups fully understood who Jesus was. Neither one of these groups has really seen Jesus for who he really is. Jesus has not fit nicely into their expectation box. And to be honest with you, I really struggled with this passage this week. Because it, these verses are, are really kind of like throwaway passages, right? There doesn't seem to be real connection John's just moving along the story. We have four verses of purely just information. Who remembers my sermon on Ezra 2? 70 verses of names. Yeah, that sermon. We are tempted with passages like these to just skim over them, not even to think about them. Okay, Jesus goes to this city. I don't know where that city is. His disciples are with him. These people are in the temple. I don't know what they're doing. Let, let, let's just get to chapter 12. These verses don't seem to present to us this new gospel that Jesus is proclaiming. We don't see these deep theological truths of the death, resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. He's not giving us anything. John, give us more. But these scriptures are here for the good of God's people. There are no throwaway verses in all the scriptures. Children, look up later. Jonah, 
chapter 4, verse 11. Terry, you might even look it up later too. There's no throwaway passages in all of Scripture. But what we see are these two groups. One with Jesus, one looking for Jesus. And I want us to ask the question, who do you identify with? In verse 53, we get this information. The charge has been set. It's time to kill Jesus. The unbelieving Jews have been trying to put him to death for several chapters now. And as D.A. Carson says, Jesus is not to be arrested in order to be tried. He is to be tried because he has already been found guilty. And then we have this new paragraph in verse 54. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. We're not told how Jesus knows. We just know that he knows. His public ministry is over. We are told that he left Bethany, where he's been since John 11, chapter 1. We are told that Jesus is near the wilderness, and we are told that Jesus is with his disciples, who surprisingly in all of chapter 11 have really not been mentioned. But we're going to come back to the disciples. Then in verse 55 and 56, we are introduced to this second group, those who are in Jerusalem. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem because the Passover before the Passover, to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will come at, at the feast to the feast at all? This is the third Passover we are told of in John's Gospel, which tells us that Jesus, his public ministry only lasted just over two years. And we see that the Jews are getting ready to purify themselves. And some commentators relate this to the purification rules of Numbers 9. But I actually don't think that's, that, that's a good case because in the text of Numbers 9, Jews who traveled or Jews who came into contact with a dead corpse were to purify themselves for the Passover. But here, we don't see what they're told to do in Numbers 9. In Numbers 9, they're told, Celebrate the Passover the next month of the second month of the year, not the first month of the year. But I actually think we have a better understanding of what's going on here if we read passages like Mark chapter 7. And the mindset of the first century Jew, the first century Jew was that they were supposed to purify themselves, not because of anything that was written in the law of Moses, but because of their own traditions that they had established for themselves. And we have this group in Jerusalem asking themselves, what do you think? And John just leaves it. And we see something very similar into the other passage that we read from John chapter 7. Jesus was performing miracles. And his brothers, who did not believe in him, asked him, continue to do miracles so that people might see you and we see Jesus react in the same way he acts, reacts here. He goes into hiding. And this is what Jesus says. My time 
has not come. And then in verse 11 of chapter 7, we see that some Jews were asking themselves very similar questions to what they're asking here in chapter 11. Where is he? And as there was much muttering about him among the people, while some of them said he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Two passages, two very similar situations. Jesus was in public. Jesus is now not in public. And there's a group of people asking, who is Jesus? It's just... It's as if John was wanting us to ask this same question. Who do you believe Jesus is? Is Jesus truly who he has claimed to be? And we have to ask ourselves, do we find ourselves standing in the very same place that they are standing? Where are they in chapter 11? They're in the temple, and they're looking for Jesus. And maybe in the quiet parts of our hearts this morning, (laughs) maybe not even in the quiet places, maybe in the very loud places, you're asking yourselves this morning, where is Jesus? Maybe you're asking one another, what do you think of this Jesus guy? Do you really buy into this whole church thing? Or do you just come here for the really good donuts and the good coffee? Or because your kids' friends are here? Or maybe because your friends are here? But deep down inside, you might be even too afraid to ask this question. Will Jesus come at all? And yet what this group doesn't see is where John is leading the narrative. John is creating a story arc. He's setting the stage. He's preparing for the inevitable. Jesus was preparing to go to the cross. Is Jesus here? Yes. Is Jesus coming to this feast? Yes. And so much more. Because when Jesus comes, they will no longer have to purify themselves because he will purify them with his own blood. Because when Jesus comes, no longer will they sacrifice the Passover lamb because he is the lamb of God. Not only is Jesus going to come and meet their expectations in Jerusalem, as we'll see in just a few weeks. But Jesus is going to so far exceed their expectations, he's going to go to the cross and die for them. Don't miss the importance of this passage. Jesus, in this entire chapter, he's given them miraculous signs but the signs were pointing to what he was preparing to do. To die for the sins of the world. And to be raised up on the third day. 
our problem is that at some point, at some point in our lives, we're going to identify with this group. Maybe it's this morning. And if it's not this morning, it's going to be at some point. We are going to ask the question, where is he? And is he coming? Where is God when it seemed that I needed him most? When my friends or my child were sick? When my parents were becoming frail and weak? When I get picked on at school or made fun of? When it seems that all of my relationships are falling apart, we find ourselves in these groups very often asking ourselves, what do you think? Where is Jesus? And what I want you to hear this morning, and what's so spectacular about this verse, is that Jesus is moving towards you. just as he moved towards the cross. Jesus moves towards you, not away from you, not because of your sin, but in spite of your sin, Jesus comes to you. And what we have to ask ourselves is, and what might really be hard to ask do we have the wrong expectations of Jesus? Because here's the truth of this passage. This group, they're looking for Jesus in the wrong place. He wasn't where they were. And what we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to look for Jesus in a place that we might not be willing to go? Do you really see Jesus for who he is? Or are you trying to make Jesus fit into that box so nice and nifty and tight and sweet because we don't want Jesus to come over here? This is what happens over and over again in this narrative. People continually to see Jesus for only what they want to see Jesus for. This happened to Peter and Jesus rebuked him. This happened to the disciples, and Jesus rebuked them because they wouldn't let the children come to him. This happened with the Sanhedrin, and they wanted to kill him because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. And we have to ask ourselves, is this what we're doing in our lives? Are we so fixated on ourselves that we're trying to make Jesus look like us rather than seeing Jesus for who he really is? Is Because what Jesus really wants to do is he wants to come get underneath your sheets and get in your bed and have all of you. Not just a part. He wants everything. And our question is, do you believe this? Do you believe that the creator of the world wants to get so close to you and get rid of all of your sin that he would go to the cross and die for you.
If you aren't in this group permanently, but you find yourself in this group often, and you're just too scared to let Jesus in, this is my plea for you. Let him in. Because he's going to so far surpass your expectations of him that all you will find is joy and gladness. Because it's only in him that your soul will find eternal rest. Because he is the Lamb of God. He is the bread that came from heaven and gives eternal life to anyone who believes in him. He's the one that comes to us and says, follow me. If you identify with this group, I want to give you hope. Because Jesus moves toward you. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've thought, Jesus moves toward you because he loves you and he came for you. Lastly, let's look at this second group in the story. We are told that Jesus went into the region near the wilderness, and it would be very easy to say this is a metaphor for our lives, right? Jesus finds us in our wilderness, and that's where he meets us. And that is true. But, Jesus, we, but we find Jesus in an actual place. He's been rejected in public opinion. Some believe, some didn't. And now Jesus retreats. Knowing where he's going and what does he do? He spends time with his disciples. His disciples who are about to betray him. His disciples who just a few moments ago didn't understand what he was doing because he didn't meet their expectations. But what does Jesus do? In verse 54, it says, he stayed with them. This should give us great hope. Because even when we have wrong expectations of Jesus, even when we aren't totally sure of who Jesus is and what he is doing, even if we aren't sure where Jesus is going to lead us next, as his disciples are about to experience, Jesus stayed with them right there in all of their imperfections, in all their crazy ideas of what he might do, and he was with them. And he never left them. Here's the good news of the gospel. When was the last time Jesus got so close he made you feel uncomfortable? He's right here this morning. He promised He would never leave us, and he is the faithful one. For those who are far off, for those who are near, Jesus has so far exceeded our own expectations because none of us would have guessed, where's Jesus this morning? He is right here for all to come to him. 
If you think you're part of the first group wondering where Jesus is, wondering who Jesus is, call upon his name and believe that he calls to you and says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. If you identify with the second group, with the disciples, have hope, for he comes near needy sinners like us, wretches like you and me, who were, found, who were lost but have been found, who were blind but now see, who were captives but who have been set free. Jesus is here this morning. He's moved so close. Turn to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, work in us a power and faith that we cannot muster up on our own, but they can only be given through your Holy Spirit. Lord, call us to repentance, but Lord, also fill us with hope because you are alive. We pray in your name. Amen. Let us stand and sing.